All right, so let's just fill out some basic information. So my name is Patty. That is correct. Ooh, photos. Okay, let's find some photos of you. I'm just going to go to your Instagram. Uh, okay, whatever. You're making this so difficult. I'm making this difficult. I, I feel like if I could hide inside my navel, I would right now. Okay, are you... So these are a bunch of yes or no questions. Uh, are you done? What? Yep. What? That was me trying to sign Patty up on an internet dating website. This is, I don't know, I don't know. I just am, (laughs) have you ever known me not to be like talkative or like turtle shelled about something? Like that is what this is doing to me because I'm just uncomfortable with the whole concept of it because it feels like. Yeah, it's really nice that you're different. Okay, so. (laughs) That's so bogus. Do you want to put this on the back burner? Do I want to put this on it? No, I want to. I, how about I finish filling it out for you? Yes. Can That would be much easier. And then I can say like yay or nay to the things that you have before you submit it. Is that okay? Yeah. Can I do that? Is that a thing? Because I am. Oh my gosh. What? I don't think you just realized it, but you just gave me permission to handle your dating lives. That's, that's to- not all of it. Just this thing. So Patty, let's talk about that. Well, okay. For me, dating is hard, man. It always has been. Mm -hmm. If a flowchart was designed to represent my mountain love life in my 20s, it would look like a haphazard web built by a drunk cross-eyed spider. It was a total complete mess, man. (laughs) Like, there was a time I was in a long-distance relationship, and she came to visit me in Colorado and said, I'd move anywhere for you, Patty. And then she legitimately broke up with me a week later. And she said something like, if you love someone, you've got to let them go. What does that even mean? Well. Okay, no, 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 no. That was a rhetorical question. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But it gets worse, right? There was a time I lived in an attic with my first mountain town girlfriend who was really doing it. And she just straight up disappeared. Like, not emotionally, like, as in physically. I came home one day and she and all her belongings were just poof, gone. You were ghosted. Full Casper. Full Casper on me. (laughs) There was also the time, though, when I blew past, like, my major non-starter. Someone who tells me that they do not want to have kids, but I just, like, put these blinders on, and I focus on the fact that she was really blonde and really pretty, (laughs) and I just, like, sped my way to this explosive breakup and subsequent heartache. (laughs) Yeah, I've done that blinders thing. Somehow it never quite works out. No, it just totally bites you right in the Christmas hams on the old back porch. Mm -hmm. How do we find love and keep it? Why is it so hard sometimes? And what does love actually look like in all of its stages? You know, these questions evolve and change at every step in our lives. And in the outdoor community, there's a unique set of hurdles to finding and keeping a relationship. So to finish out season four, we are going to take a deep dive into love in the outdoors. It's a special three-part series. You'll hear from a van lifer looking for real connection. A matchmaker charged with putting people together. A therapist who researches human connection. And people who have been able to maintain powerful relationships while also living a life of adventure. In part one of this series, we're going to look at how folks are dating today. Our second episode will investigate what happens when two people meet and become an item. And after that, our final episode will be devoted to how we keep love going for the long haul. 
I am so effing excited. <laughs> and I'm so excited to help you find love. And I am terrified of that prospect. I'm better at matchmaking than you think, Patty. Mm-hmm. I'm Elizabeth Nakano. And I'm Patty O'Connell. Welcome to Safety Thirds miniseries, The Love Traverse. Recently, pals, it has been highly suggested that I take more of an active role in my dating life because dating for me has pretty much always been like this passive thing. Like I'm sitting on the couch just waiting for life to deliver me my person, right? And signing up for the dating apps is a big step in actively turning on my light and uh, working at finding love. And it's a big, big step for me because it is also like super duper uncomfortable. I get that these apps are how a ton of people are meeting today. I just don't, I don't want it to be the way that I meet someone. I'm sweating a lot right now talking about this. <laughs> this is very strange for me and very uncomfortable. Okay, well, first of all, breathe. Okay, thank you. <sighs> Keep your armpits away from me. But also, let's just... Back yeah. up for a second. Okay. What's the deal with you and online dating? Um, like, w why why do I not like it? Yeah, why are you so against it? Okay, so in my 20s, super unhealthy, living in the depths of active alcoholism and drug addiction. But even now in my 30s in recovery, I still find myself doing a lot of the same things around relationships. I, I put these blinders on in my dating life because I'm just so focused on the goal. Like, I got to get to the goal. I got to get to partnership. I got to get to marriage and, and kids. You know, I blow past these red flags and I stay in these sour, toxic relationships for just like far, far too long. And all I really want is for just like a gal to stand outside my window with a boombox blaring In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. That's not too much to ask, is it? <laughs> so you basically want to be a character in the movie Say Anything. Yes. But not the one that does the romancing. I want to be wooed. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I just want the lady version of John Cusack to come woo me, please. That kind of track, since you have this yeah. weird obsession with romantic comedies. I love you. I love you back. I think if I liked someone a great deal, I, I'd want to talk about it all the time. I'd want to tell her how... Oh my God, they are so wonderful, Elizabeth. You know, and I mean, I am a, I am a devoted rom-com aficionado. I've kind of tried to live my life like in a rom-com version, like patio rom-com or something. You know, like you know how in every rom-com it seems like the couple breaks up like three times or four times or twenty-seven times, like. And then they get back together in a super dramatic way, like in the middle of the pouring rain, something cliche like that, yeah, right? Yeah, so dumb. Yeah, it is, but it's also lovely and awesome and wonderful, and I want it in my own life. I mean, I legit broke up with a gal like three or four times in these like huge and sometimes public breakups, and then we'd get back together, typically in these huge public makeouts, and I'd be like, this is the time that it works out. Patty, as your friend and someone who is uh, uncomfortably close to your special brand of crazy, <laughs> I, I actually uh, think you? that Question from that? what I know of you, that these fantasies are, if I had to guess, probably driven a little bit by fear. Uh, I mean, I'm. do you think that you hold on to these relationships because a part of you is scared of being alone and you'd rather have something than nothing? Uh, 
Whoa, that was heavy. I have my um, moments. Yeah, uh, that was also very astute. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. You're right. Like the the friends that I moved to Telluride with after we graduated college, married with kids. My siblings, married with kids. My friends in Carbondale, they're either partnered off or married with kids. To me, it kind of seems like everywhere I look in the mountain town that I live in and the mountain towns that I visit, like everyone has figured out dating and love, but not me. Hmm. And that sucks. That totally sucks. And it kind of leads to this really healthy serving of doom and gloom around this vision I have for my mountain love life. And my biggest fear, more than death even, is ending up alone. Hmm. But I gotta believe, I want to believe that there are mountain folks out there who feel the same way that I do. I mean, please, dear God, I can't be the only one. Um, okay, so Elizabeth, let's jump into this. Can you lay some numbers on us, please? Like, what does love actually look like in America? Okay, so it appears that you are not alone Yay! in. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't know about the mountain town part. Uh, You said that you want to see if other mountain people feel the same way. The data that I have, it's from the U.S. Census Bureau. And in 2017, they reported that 55% of Americans believe that getting married is not an important milestone. That's in contrast to 1960 when 72% of Americans were married. So our generation is partnering differently. We're waiting longer to start families, if at all. And the Census Bureau also reported that 110.6 million Americans over the age of 18 were single. That's about 45% of the population in the U.S. That's a lot of people. I'm recently married, but for a long time, I was part of that single group. It was kind of the opposite of you, actually. Like, I was happy being that way. Finding love wasn't a priority. Didn't feel like I was missing anything. Well, and I I totally get that, right? And that's, that's cool. Like... I understand that being by yourself is an option that tons of people choose and that's rad for them. But that is just like, it's not what I want. You know, that's what I fear. I want the partner. I want a family. I want the whole shebang. But I think that I'm going about dating all wrong. Okay. Like, you know me, I am a joy filled person. Typically, I love to laugh. Right. (laughs) But when it comes to dating, it's kind of like it's I like pack it into this pressure cooker and I just have zero humor or laughter around love at all. And that is why I called up Sydney West. She's currently in the dating pool and observing dating through the lens of humor. I guess if you count the backcountry permit and parking ticket, then I've definitely paid for sex. Sydney's a climber, a runner, a freelance writer, and a stand-up comedian. She works in the outdoor and cannabis industries, and she makes these unfiltered observations on dating within the outdoor community. My skiing style is one time I tore a meniscus trying to impress a hot guy who, it turns out, was neither straight or single. Sydney credits a sour relationship as the reason she got into the outdoor industry to begin with. Back in college on the East Coast, Sydney's then-boyfriend broke up with her because he wanted to date someone more adventurous and outdoorsy. Sydney says he was a big climber, and at the time, she wasn't. 
I decided I wanted to be in the climbing industry after I saw the documentary 180 Degrees South, and I Googled where do climbers live, and that's how I ended up in Boulder, Colorado. Literally within a year, I was working uh, at Paradox Sports with Timmy O'Neill, and I was at an event, and I met like one of my ex's like actual heroes. Like he had, he was obsessed with this dude and his work and his accomplishments and like everything that he did. And he was single at the time and we ended up like hooking up and he gave me my first rim job, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was really excited to tell my ex about it. That is so sinister. And I completely understand that. Good for you, Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) So Sydney, if you haven't realized, isn't afraid to be crass. But I think Sydney's point, along with being completely shocking, is that dating in our community can look different than the rest of society. I mean, in some cases, like Sydney's, relationships can just move a hell of a lot faster. The first couple weeks I lived in Boulder, I was at a brewery and I was by myself and I ended up meeting this guy. And uh, that night he asked if I wanted to go camping, which was like weird to just like leave a bar and like go camping with a dude. Everybody back home, like in Maryland, when I'm like, hey, I'm going to go do this thing with this dude, they were like, it sounds like he's about to murder you. I was going to say, it sounds like a little murdery, but maybe also outdoorsy. Exactly. I think it's romantic to just like do stuff like that. And we ended up driving out to Shelf Road and like going climbing the next day. So it was pretty cool. And that's why I continue to date dudes that live in vans, even though they don't have their shit together because they are just impulsive and spontaneous and fun like that, you know? My first dates with my husband were like that. We were outdoors all the time, camping, hiking, climbing, canyoneering. And actually seeing how thoughtful he was about making sure I was okay is one of the things that made me start to like him in the first place. A Stanford study reported that between 1995 and 2017, couples that met through friends declined. And 39% of couples that got together in the U.S. in 2017 met online. And that's just heterosexual couples. 60% of same-sex couples met online. Have you ever internet dated at all? I love Tinder, especially when I'm traveling, because it is just easy access to the singles in your area. I don't drink alcohol, which makes it hard for me to meet people. And I also, I work from home, which makes it hard for me to meet people. But I don't, I don't use it like when I'm home in Bend to like meet the love of my life. Cause I feel like I'm too romantic for that. And I need like a meet cute story. What are you aiming for? Like a light casual relationship, just hookups, long-term. I'm casually dating right now. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm not interested in the American dream with the kids in the white picket fence. I am interested in like the outdoor dream where we have a house, but we also have like a sprinter van and a dog or two. And we just like get to climb all the time. One thing that I noticed when I started climbing, a lot of the guys that I hung out and climbed with, most of them 
had girlfriends that didn't climb. And so they were spending their weekends with me, which I thought was really weird because it's like, why don't you date somebody who's passionate about the thing that you're passionate about? If you're dating a climber and you're not a climber, then don't complain about how they like to spend their time. If you don't do what they're doing, then, you know, don't be jealous and don't like let somebody like have their thing if it's not your thing. What are some of the hard lessons that we should know about dating in our community? Guys are always kind of like shocked when I say exactly like what I want, you know, and that's pretty fun. So I don't know, just like be yourself if yourself is like cool, I guess. <laughs> and if you're not cool, be somebody else who is cool. Yeah, like or just be hot. You, Get be, cool. be cool or Get... hot. Like yeah. <laughs> pick one. <laughs> people should just focus on loving their own lives and like meeting other people that are loving their own lives and want to share that together. I just live my life like I'm always going to be single and just hope that I like meet somebody cool along the way. I'm not waiting for some dude to like whisk me off in his sprinter van and like just take me on adventures forever. Like I'm just taking myself on adventures. I'm just I'm being my own sprinter boy, you know, (laughs) it's why I bought the Tacoma. Like, dude, when I bought my Tacoma, I became the boy of my dreams. Like I built that thing out. I sleep in it. I go on adventures. I love it. Like, it's amazing. Be your own boyfriend. That is fucking great. (laughs) I can totally understand that showing up without pressure and feeling complete on our own is the best way to start looking. But how do we also balance our love of the outdoors with our actual love life path? What does dating look like for someone who was always on the go, always out on adventures? Take, for example, the ultimate dirtbag, the single van lifer. Ever wonder what dating looks like for one of those people? Well, we talked with someone who was mobile for seven years. That conversation after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, unlike what you've seen on Instagram, every sprinter van does not come complete with a model-pretty boyfriend or girlfriend. To get a glimpse of the reality of dating when you live in a van, we spoke to Austin. He's a friend of Duct Tape Thin Beer and a talented photographer in his early 30s. My name is Austin Sidek, and I'm a freelance photographer, mostly shooting in the outdoor industry, climbing, skiing, etc. Currently, I live in Seattle, although... Prior to six or seven months ago, I had spent the majority of the last seven years living out of my van on the road all over the American West. I would describe my dating life while I was living in the van full time as a very small end study. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please expand on that. I did very little dating. By any measure, Austin is the stereotypical ski-slash-climbing bum. That's a compliment. Probably 75% or more of the women that I meet that I'm interested in dating, I meet at the climbing gym here in Seattle. (laughs) That's the outdoor version of a singles bar, maybe, is the climbing gym. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, that and friends of friends, I would say. Yeah. And have you ever dated, like, have you ever used any dating apps, like, online? I have used Tinder a little bit, but only a small amount. 
what I would love to have in a partner is someone that I spend a lot of time with doing the things that we love together. So if they don't enjoy spending time outside, then <laughs> in my free time, I'm going to have a massive conflict between wanting to spend time with them and wanting to go do the things that I love. Right. It's like the classic cliche that these, these things aren't sports, they're lifestyles, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that people outside of the outdoor community tend to at first like see what I do or see what a lot of my my friends and I do as being like really cool and really adventurous and then like once you actually start to get into it and into the realities of it it doesn't seem as <laughs> as awesome anymore because it means that you're spending a lot of time away from home and if someone isn't part of that outdoors community whether it be if, I mean whatever sport climbing skiing what have you if they aren't part of that already, then there's just so many things about those communities that I think are difficult to understand if you aren't a core participant in terms of the amount of space that they take up in your life. Could you date somebody who is not a climber? Who say maybe is like, uh, yeah, like I like to go skiing and I love road cycling, but I don't really like climbing. I could definitely see myself dating someone who is not a climber. I, I, I don't think that it's necessarily realistic or maybe even the best thing to to have you and your partner share the exact same sports or the exact or at least with the same intensity I can absolutely see wanting to both go do incredible trips and adventures with a partner but then also just being very clear and saying hey like this other thing that I thought up that I'm going to go do is something that I know is important for me to go do by myself or, or perhaps with a different friend and there's reasons that I don't want you to come, but that's not because I don't love you. It's because these other things are also very important to me in my life, and I don't want to get rid of those as well. Austin and I share some similarities. We both have spent most of our adult life dedicated to mountain passions. We also both sometimes fall victim to the question, what would my life look like if I didn't have the outdoors at the center? Just in general in life, my brain loves to run counterfactuals all the time. Oh my God, isn't it exhausting? It is a little bit exhausting, definitely. But I'm 31 now, and I have a ton of friends who I went to college and high school with who have been married for years even now at this point, or are starting to have kids. And that just feels so remote and alien to my experience right now. There, there have been times, for sure, when I've wondered, would I be happier now if, say, due to other life choices, I was more settled down and had a dedicated partner for years already at this point? Would that outweigh all of the incredible adventures and meaningful experiences and amazing friendships that I've built up with people in the climbing and outdoors community over the last five, ten years? I don't know if it's <laughs> remotely possible to answer that question, you know? I have absolutely 0. 0.0000 desire to be you know someone like Fred Becky who was still single when he died when he was 94 even though he'd done all this amazing climbing all over the world for his entire life right because at the end of the day I know deeply and I and it, I feel deeply in my heart that something that is really important to me in life is finding a partner with whom I can share decades of my life and my experience with and who I can grow with together and learn from and love deeply and I would give up tons I would give up I would probably maybe even give up like outdoor sports if, if that meant like 
finding that person wholly and completely, you know? But I don't, I just can't really imagine totally having forsaken the last decade or so of my life that has made me who I am. A pretty important distinction to make there between other goals that I've had over the last decade regarding you know, personal mountain activities or work in the outdoor industry, et cetera, is that those things, yeah, they were very, like, at times were very goal-oriented and focused, where I would say, okay, I'm gonna save up enough money to buy a van that I can live in on the road so that I can do these activities more. And, okay, I'm gonna build up a bunch of climbing skills by going to this place and this place, doing this route and then that route so that I can go to Patagonia and climb Fitzroy or go climb Cerro Torre, et cetera. And there are these like linear paths that you can kind of foresee and you can kind of tick off some stuff along the way and fulfill your goal. I fundamentally don't view like trying to find and have a partner in life as that kind of goal-oriented task. It's not like a box to tick off. I think that trying too hard to, to enter into a relationship or to find someone makes it in some ways like more difficult or less likely to happen. Oh my God, I feel like you've been reading my diary. <laughs> dude, holy shit, dude. Ugh. Oh my God. But that said, I, I would say that there have been times over the last year or so where I have actively said no to certain climbing or other outdoor experiences to prioritize more time with people that I've been dating. If a friend of yours came up to you and said like, I'm switching things up, I'm, I'm looking for love, what advice would you give that person, that friend, about dating in our community? I think that a lot of people, especially younger people in the outdoors world, by default assume that their partner, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, what have you, has to be like their main partner, not only in their love life and their relationship, but also in their chosen outdoor pursuit. So like my girlfriend also has to be my main climbing partner or my boyfriend also has to be my main skiing partner, the person that I go out and uh, train with all the time. And I think that that's actually a really bad idea. I, I think that it doesn't create the spaces for that classic interdependence and perhaps leads to a little bit of overdependence. What about, what if that friend came up to you and said like, oh man, I found the, the gal of my dreams, but she lives in a van. I'd maybe wonder whether or not his dreams were a bit more like nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, yes. No, I mean, I think that, I think that uh, if your values have you more rooted right now and her values have her on the road and moving around, then just, you know, we can look forward and see that there's likely going to be some sort of conflict there not too far down the road. So just like be ready for that. <laughs> Don't expect everything to just be amazing. <laughs> and I think there's something pretty important to be said about having your own personal space fairly clearly defined as well, even within a relationship and creating that space for each other to remain their own, your own independent people. Austin recently moved to a house in Seattle, and he says it has greatly changed his dating life. Living in a city again, not just being 
in like Yosemite or whatever random climbing area, you know, pull out of a hat, I'm meeting significantly more women on a daily basis, <laughs> probably like in the last like six months than I had in the last six years, you know. Oh <laughs> <laughs> it's funny and sad at the same time. <laughs> I, uh, I actually, uh, I kind of want to redo just with like a slightly different finish my uh, my intro based on the uh, the topic at hand. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Austin Sidak and I'm a freelance photographer uh, shooting in the outdoor industry, mostly climbing, skiing, etc. And I am very much single. So, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> if you're single, you got some friends who are single, hit me up. You slide right into my DMs. Slide into Here the DMs we... on the old Instagram, you know. <laughs> oh my God. Wouldn't it just be great if you were just going about your day and someone just came up and swooped you up and was like, it's me, I'm here, I'm the one. Sorry it took so long. Let's go and be in love now forever and ever and ever. No, that sounds so incredibly creepy. <laughs> really? Yes. Come on, I've like legit been waiting for, I've been waiting for that for like 35 years, please, come on. Okay, that raises another question, like uh -huh. why at two and three years old were you wanting that? But anyway, um, my husband basically said something like, that to me before we started dating and it probably set our relationship back by like half a year <laughs> oh my god elizabeth what you don't uh, want someone to just rock guy. up to you and say that it's uh, very uncomfortable yes you do you do i feel so bad for chris god i'm sorry chris but i kind of think that like what you're saying is is what austin is saying you know there's a big difference between fantasy hi uh, and reality, you. <laughs> Life isn't a rom-com, you know. You've got to work at love. And and then once you find it, you need to strike, like, this interdependent balance, right? You need to have balance between time together, time together outdoors, and time apart to do your own thing. And you could also just date someone totally different who isn't outdoorsy at all. That's a thing. Never <laughs> worked for me, uh, but it mm. works for some people. <laughs> Um, yeah, actually, that's a good question right there. What happens when someone from the general population tries to date one of us dirtbags? My name is Nori Imori. I currently live in Santa Barbara. And ever since moving to Santa Barbara, a lot of my stuff has been about beach lounging. Lounging at the beach, biking along the beach, wading in the beach, but not big activities like surfing. Uh -huh. And then there's beautiful walks and hiking around here. But it's very low-key recreational style. Nori's looking for a partner who is secure in themselves, secure in their career, kind and compassionate. And she usually dates within the professional office circle she's a part of. But she has dipped her toes into the murky, sometimes dirty, often smelly dating pool of the outdoors. Once, she dated an outdoorsy van lifer. We met on Tinder. He was a rock climber, and that was his primary identity. Uh -huh. 
And what I thought was amazing and so refreshing was who are you? What do you do? Was all the same answer for him. My identity was not so much my job, but yet that's the question that people so often ask. It's like, who are you? What do you do? It's like, I'm a rock climber. What really attracted you to the van guy? Let's call him, we're going to call him the van guy now. <laughs> it's very shallow at first, but he had amazing muscles. And what, so like, how did he bring up? The van thing, like I live in my van. Did that come out on like date one? Did you yeah. go in with it? Okay, cool. So he was psyched on it. And what did you think about it? I was like, okay, is that your van? Yep. Really? I so admired how true he was to his life. Oh, that's cool. And it's because I was having so much personal conflict with my job at the time. Mm-hmm where I felt like what I did to make money was not in line with my personal values. Mm, okay. And so to meet someone whose life was so in alignment was inspiring. Were there any cons for you with the van life? So he had this amazing body, amazing yeah. muscles, so much flexibility. I feel like there's a big butt coming here. But. When it came to actual sex, it was so boring. Really? Yes. Why do you say that? It was very linear. And I kept thinking, I don't understand <laughs> why when I know you have incredible range of motion and you know how to use your, like, your whole body in interesting, asymmetrical, complicated ways. Like, why is sex just so much like a board? I don't understand. You're like, hey, awesome muscles. Love how flexy you are on the rock. Could you bring some of that maybe like in the bedroom a little bit? The funny thing was I was talking to my friend who is mm. very much in the outdoor community. Yeah. And she knows very well. And I was describing this to her, and I'm like, I just don't get it. And she said, well, I think that happens when you mostly have sex in a van or in a sleeping bag. <laughs> Eventually, because Van Guy was on the go so much, he and Nori parted ways on good terms. She still thinks of the relationship fondly. I learned a lesson from him that has become part of how I see the world. He said, when you're climbing, there is a tendency when you get scared to hold on tighter. And in fact, you need to do just the opposite. Let go just to the point where you feel yourself starting to slip and then hang on a tiny bit tighter. Because when you're scared and when you hang on tighter, it actually decreases your mobility. It actually makes you burn out faster. And then you get stuck. And so you have to let go. Back in the day, my Aunt Kyle interviewed me, my siblings, and my cousins. She had one of those awesome, chunky 80s tape decks, the kind that you like close and it's like, clunk, clunk. And recently, she gave us the recordings for Christmas. Here's one of them. 
April 22nd, 1989, we have a slumber party over at Colleen O'Connell's house, myself. Right now we're going to talk to Patty O'Connell. Patty, hi, how are you? Hi. How old are you, Patty? Four and a half. Four and a half. And what do you want to be when you grow up, Patty? I want to get married and have children. How wonderful. So what, what's the best thing? You know, you? nothing has changed for me since I was four years old. I'm 35 now, and I got no kids, and I'm single, and I don't want to be. You know, to me, it doesn't even feel like a want or a desire. This feels like something I am supposed to be. It feels just like being a skier or a mountain biker. Those aren't things that I do or gear that I have. Those are who I am. And I want to share that with a person, and I, I, I want to share that with a partner, and hopefully one day my children. I feel like lifelong partnership and being a father is what I am supposed to be. But getting there, it feels like it's a mystery. I'm thinking about what Nori said, right? And, and she's totally right. I need to hold on loosely to this thing, but not let go. And, and then what Sydney has said, like, have a little fun for crying out loud, Patty. You know, I'm squeezing this thing to death. And then there's Austin's perspective of needing to, you know, like recognize the situation, make some shifts so that it's an actual real priority in my life. And recently I was talking to my sister about this and I was just kind of like barfing my frustrations with internet dating and just being kind of ho-hum about the whole situation. Yeah. I was just kind of like down and out about it. You know, she told me this thing that I really appreciated. You know, she said that I shouldn't look at it as where or how I'm going to find my person. But an action step, like signing up for internet dating is actively turning on my light, you know? And it's a way to signal to myself and to others that I am going to work at this thing. Hello? Guess what? Guess what I did? I did it. I signed oh up. Oh gosh, there are so many ways this could go. <laughs> no, I signed up for two, Elizabeth, two dating apps. I had the help of my sister and my cousins, but I did it. I actually did it. Good job. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'm pretty psyched about it. I'll just read like a couple things from like um, both of these apps that I'm on. Childhood Celebrity Crush. Of course, I wrote Kelly Kapowski. <laughs> of course. Like, this is such a pleasant surprise, given uh, yeah, uh, what well, an annoying baby you were the first time yeah. I signed you up. Well, I still don't want to have to do this this way. If you aren't psyched on it and you feel like we're just pushing you to do this, then like, I don't understand why you're doing it. Because, uh, Well, because... I, that's exactly why, because I need to be pushed to do this because, well, I mean, what I've been doing, the way that I date and the way that I go about love, like it's not working. Like this is the thing that I want most in my life that I have the least amount of confidence in. So I got to try, like I have to. Okie dokie, pals. On the next episode of Safety Thirds miniseries, The Love Traverse, we discuss the relationship. 
You'll hear about what happens after the first encounter, how you cultivate a partnership, and what the relationship ingredient list actually is. And we're also going to hear how things go for Patty on his internet dating journey. Mm, maybe. Nope. It's happening. <laughs> You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guests today were Sydney West, Austin Sidek, and Nori Amori. Check them out on Instagram at at Sydney West, at Austin underscore Sidek, and at Lil Spiffy. If you like today's show, then announce your love. Safety Third is kind of like a trust fall. What happens when you do one of those on your own, pals? That's right, a reverse belly flap. Ouchie. So gather your crew and use Safety Third as your very own auditory version of a trust fall. A sky hug, if you will. Tell your friends and fam about the show. And if you have an idea for a guest, send us an email at hello at safetythirdpodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nicano. Alex Park edited this episode. Music by my big brother, Brendan. I travel with toiletries in a Ziploc bag, O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. <laughs>